0: It's a pleasure to be with you again. It's good to see you. It's good to hear the blessing that the Lord is giving to this congregation too. A handful of new (laughs) members—great! That's always encouraging to hear. It sounds as though, in the ears of a visitor, that things are going quite well, and we're delighted. I must, as you're turning to the scripture reading for today in First Peter, I must make a small uh, apology. I'm sorry I didn't say this to Justin in advance, I was supposed to. Some of you may have heard already that Jimmy Turner finished his race yesterday. Late afternoon. Uh, We loved him, I loved Jimmy. I've only known of, much about, worked with, and lived just a block away from Jimmy in recent years for low these years since 1955 for me and ellen his wife now with the lord also and we overlapped at belhaven college with ellen and david and his family lived just up the corner from us <laughs> and we are immersed in the dealings with the turner family jimmy will be sorely missed in Columbus, and in Montgomery, and in Kosciuszko, and in South Carolina, and in Oxford, and in Jackson. So, if you didn't know, now you do. Jimmy finished his race yesterday. I invite you to look at First Peter with me, and I know that Jim Shull, he told me, Bebo... You can't outdo what I've been doing in 1 Peter. Oh, poor guy. (laughs) And I know that I can only add a footnote to what Jim has been doing, but I intend it as a bit of a footnote nonetheless. Something of a New Year's sermon to get us a bit focused on what God is doing, has done, and will do. We read from 1 Peter because it is God's Word, just as the rest of Scripture is. And hence, we give it the due respect and pay attention to it. As we read these words in 1 Peter, the first chapter, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ... To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Thus ends this reading of God's Word. Uh, let's pray, asking God to give us the, the the message that we need for our well-being and His honor. Father, we do pray. Spirit of God, we pray. Lord Jesus, our Savior, three and one. We pray that You would give us more insight, and by the working of Your Spirit, more commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, and more holiness being more like the Savior. For we pray in His name and for His sake. Amen. It was all those years ago at Belhaven College that we had a professor, Dr. Norman Harper. Does anybody remember Dr. Harper from those days? He made us read a book. Imagine that, a college professor making the students read a book. Well, it was a very helpful book. Hard to read. Very helpful book by Norman DeYoung. I still converse with his son, Brian DeYoung, up in uh, uh, Sheboygan, Wisconsin, regularly. Norm DeYoung said in that book, Education in the Truth, top 10 seller. (laughs) I imagine his mother might have bought a copy. (laughs) Norm DeYoung said in that book that I should have read. He said something like this. He said, information is supposed to go somewhere It's supposed to go toward understanding. Understanding is supposed to go somewhere. It's supposed to go toward wisdom. Wisdom is supposed to go somewhere. It goes toward assuming responsibility, commensurate with the age and place in life. What that says is, as we read this portion of God's Word and talk about it a little bit, it's supposed to go toward you AND ME AS WE ASSUME RESPONSIBILITY COMMENSURATE WITH OUR AGE AND PLACE IN LIFE. GOOD. LITTLE uh, INTRO THESIS. A SECOND LITTLE INTRO THESIS GOES LIKE THIS. ALL THOSE YEARS AGO, THE FIRST PERSON IN WHAT WAS GOING TO BECOME, IF YOU'RE OLD ENOUGH TO REMEMBER, REFORM UNIVERSITY MINISTRIES, AND THEN IT WAS MORPHED INTO RUF a person who whose uh, whose voice Jimmy Turner and I heard many many times back in those days Mark Lowry drilled into what was to become RUF this little phrase Mark Lowry said time and time and time again God is at work God is at work in fact I was in South Carolina this past week and had the occasion to try to drill that thought into the minds of the seminary students there at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. God is at work. Let's pray and go home. <laughs> Not quite yet. Let's open up the thought, though, of let's, uh, let's pay attention, though, for just a little bit, Because I think Peter is saying exactly the same thing in this passage, that God is at work. He tells us right here in the passage, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, certain things occur. Everything occurs as a matter of fact. A little point number one in my outline is this, simply that God is at work as he foreknew his people. That's exactly what Peter is explaining to us. The foreknowledge of God. One man said, God knows all things as they actually come to pass. Past, present, and future. He knows what is possible and what is actual. The omniscience of God is clearly taught in many passages of Scripture. Oh. It's a concept that's riddled all through the Bible. That is, that God foreknows, hang on, that God foreknows, God is omniscient unto the past, the present, and the future. As like Job 37, God looketh not on the outward appearance, but on the heart. God knows you and me exhaustively, inside better than you know yourself. Like in 1 Samuel 16, God knows man comprehensively. He knows all there is to know about you. Incidentally, his fingerprints are all over you. He deals with you. As one man said, however, it denotes more than just knowing in advance. Let's turn the concept just a little bit. In Acts, 4th chapter, verses 27-28, For truly in this city there was gathered together against the holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever the hand, thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. Well, it's more simply, isn't it? It's no more than simply, isn't it? that God foreknows, rather that God has predestined all that occurs. Or in Romans 8, 29, we read this, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. This foreknowledge thing rests upon the foreordaining thing. John Bunyan, Famous for Pilgrim's Progress, as you know, once said this, Election is an etern- is as eternal as God is, without variableness and shadow of change, and thus is called an eternal purpose, and it must stand. It's absolute. It's unconditional. Wow, that's hard for me to get. Do you get it? Do you get it well? It's hard for me to get. Do you get it? Hmm. Well, do we have catechism people in the room? Does anybody remember the definition given by catechism? The catechism on what are God's decrees? God's decrees are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will, whereby He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And we affirm that that is clearly the teaching of the Bible. God has decreed into eternity past. Why are you here? And the biggest way of looking at it, you're here because God decreed for you to be here. The next question asks How does God execute His decrees? The answer is God executeth His decrees and the works of creation and providence. Boom, creation. <laughs> Accomplishing God's decree. Boom, creation. And providence. The next question is What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are His holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. God has decreed from eternity past. God's decree is fulfilled and accomplished in creation and in providence. What, what, what's with you? Can I just be bold and ask, what's with you? What's, what in the world is with you? Do you belong to the Lord? Are you the Lord's person? It's fair for me to ask a question like that, isn't it? It's fair for me to ask of children, things like that, isn't it? It was as a 10-year-old child, I think I told you this before, it was as a 10-year-old child that I was at Lake Forest Ranch one summer. I think God changed me as a 10-year-old kid and put me on a certain course uh, 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 into the future. But you see, your conversion, should it have been, your conversion, should it be, your conversion is a result of God's eternal decree worked out by His providence with His fingerprints all over you. Are you in Christ? It's a reasonable application of the first point that God is at work. Is God at work in you? Is He changing you? Has He changed you? Fair? Fair. Fair to ask that question. It's all about the decree of God. It's all about what Peter's explaining right here, that this foreknowledge of God has has opened up to us by the work of the Spirit of God in us. And could I say, could I say as an application that yes, we need a pastor. Yes, we need a pastor. And thank the Lord, Jim, my good buddy, is here, and I'm, I'm serious in saying that I rag on him all the time, all the time, only because he deserves it. I rag on him all the time, and yes, we need a pastor, don't we? The decrees of God are His eternal purpose, according to the counsel of, will, of His will, of His will, whereby He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. We are not discouraged we are confident because God is God and we are not. What did Norm Norm DeYoung tell us? Information is supposed to go somewhere toward our assuming responsibilities commensurate with our age and place in life. Number one, God is at work. Number two, God is at work in your sanctification. That's exactly what Peter says right here. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit, God is at work in your sanctification. The Puritan John Owen once said, Now our whole evil frame was cured by the effectual working of the Holy Spirit and the renovation of our nature. I was made new. If you're in Jesus, you were made new this work is the cause of our holiness the more we have of his saving light in our minds of his heavenly love in our wills and affections and of a constant readiness unto obedience in our hearts for the more pure the, the more pure we become he purifies us by strengthening our souls with grace my favorite verses in the Bible. My favorite verses in the Bible. Do you have favorite verses in the Bible? I have favorite verses in the Bible. My favorite verses in the Bible are these. Philippians 2, 12b, and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It sounds like, oh, we're supposed to accomplish our No, 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 no. The better way for us to think through it is live out your salvation From now on. For it is God who is at work in you, causing you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Should you be making any progress in sanctification, and that's God's design. You're making progress in sanctification because God's spirit is at work in you. Causing you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Jesus said... In John 17, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Hebrews 13, therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood suffered. First, uh, second Thessalonians 2, God hath chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit. What's the point, Bebo? The point is, God's at work. He's as much at work today with you that He was in a day in the past when He brought you to a saving knowledge of the only Redeemer of God's elect, God Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, who thought it not something to grasp or be held on to to remain in heaven with His Father, but willingly subjected Himself to all of the miseries of this life yet without sin, that he might be your redeemer and that he might be the one working through you by his spirit in your sanctification. God is at work. That's just the bottom line. It's 2023. God is at work. That's the bottom line. We are not straying from the eternal truth as Peter has explained it to us right here in these two little verses. Okay, God is at work. In my salvation, to put it that way, God is at work, number two. In my sanctification, to put it that way, number three, God is at work, as Peter said, in sprinkling the blood of Christ on you. Well, John Owen, the Puritan said... By the special application of the blood of Christ, the Holy Spirit becomes the efficient cause of the purging of our souls from all the defilements of sin. The application of the blood of Christ. I had the privilege of teaching a little class this past week at Greenville Seminary. I quoted Palmer Robertson a number of times. Does anybody remember Palmer Robertson? I do Palmer Robertson. <laughs> we had Palmer Robertson at Reform Seminary back in those decades far far in the past. I'm going to quote Palmer Robertson here and then make a point of it. We were in class one day and someone asked a question. Palmer thought a little bit and he said, "I don't know." <laughs> I tried to tell those seminary boys to get, get comfortable saying, I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't know exactly what is being meant by this sprinkling with the blood of Jesus. I don't know. I, 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 can, I can go a little way with it, but I'm not sure I can go very far with it because I don't know. But here's how far I go with it. The sprinkling with the blood of Christ... Well, in Exodus 24, and Leviticus 16, we have references to the Old Testament sacrificial system, don't we? Yes, we do. And that reference in Leviticus, one day of the year, the high priest, on the Day of Atonement, atonement at one month, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would do these things. Over the head of one goat, he would seemingly confess all the sins of the people. Metaphorically, perhaps, analogously, perhaps, however we think about it, he was confessing the sins of the people. And I told the seminary class, hold on, for the next several hours, I'm going to be confessing your sin. (laughs) They weren't too delighted to hear me say that. (laughs) But isn't that the point? The high priest was confessing the sins of the people over the head of the goat. And what then? And I said in the class, you know, I, I don't know anything about sheep or goats. Do you know anything? I'm not sure I know anybody who knows anything about them. But I've read they're pretty dumb. I've read that the, the priest confessing the sins and then having the goat led so far out into the wilderness that he could never come back with all the sins on his head. The sins are gone. When your sins are laid on the head of the Lamb of God, they're gone, never to return. And so what with the other goat? The other goat was slaughtered and the blood was sprinkled on the altar, indicating that there is the concept of the shedding of blood. You and I merit having our blood shed for our sins. But what happens? We have, as you know, a sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Peter, this is Peter now. Wow. Wow. Look at the understanding Peter has. Look at the understanding Peter didn't have. Isn't it interesting that when the ladies came to the tomb on, the, on that Sunday morning, they found the stone rolled away. They looked inside and he wasn't there. And the angel of the Lord said to them, go tell the disciples in the sentence. And Peter, go tell the disciples and Peter that he's done what he said he was going to do. Imagine Peter remembering that there's going to be the sprinkling of blood. Imagine Peter remembering his denials of Jesus that night right before Jesus was crucified the next day. Imagine, imagine. Oh, this is Peter. Whoa. For whom there was the shedding of the blood of Jesus. And if you're in Christ, for you too. Matthew Henry said, Whoso the Father elects, the Spirit sanctifies unto obedience, AND THE SON REDEEMS AND SPRINKLES WITH HIS BLOOD. THERE, THERE, THERE'S, IF I WERE, if, IF I WERE PROFICIENT ENOUGH, MAYBE I COULD HAVE JUST READ MATTHEW, HENRY, AND LET THAT BE THE WHOLE SERMON, BECAUSE THAT SENTENCE JUST ABOUT TAKES IT ALL IN, BUT I GET A LITTLE BRIEFER IN THE LATTER POINTS. God's at work. God's at work in your sanctification. God is at work with this sprinkling of the blood of Jesus thing. And God is at work blessing you and me with grace and peace. That's exactly what he says. That's exactly what he says. Right toward the end of verse 2. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Grace and peace. Grace is grounded in the work of God. Oh, we need His grace. Again, again, John Bunyan said, By God's choice, purpose, and decree, the elect have been allotted in Christ a sufficiency of grace to bring them through all difficulties to glory. I'm thinking about my my buddy, old Jimmy Turner. I'm thinking about him. I was getting a number of texts driving up here about Jimmy, and and one text uh, was was uh, um, in speaking about Jimmy. My response was, "Jimmy was a very unique and holy person. Jimmy," I said, "had amazing had amazing success." in the work for Jesus by His blessing. What about you? What about grace? Is grace tumbling down from heaven for you today, for now, for our duties, our responsibilities? And peace also is at work. Blessed are the peacemakers. Grace infuses a sweet and pleasant disposition and fouls off the ruggedness of men's spirit, and it turns the lion-like fierceness, one man said, into a lamb-like gentleness. Thomas Watson, one of the Puritans. The more a person is peaceable, peaceable, the more he is like God. Grace and peace. Grace and peace be upon you. Could there be a better kind of benediction than what Peter is giving at the very salutation point of this letter? You need it. You need it. And he gives it. If you in your heart being moved by God's Spirit are willing to receive it, peace I'll tell you that it doesn't take much for me to get worked up. Is is that the way you are? I go in blows and stretches. I, I, I just can't listen to very much of the news. Can you listen to the news? <sighs> uh driving up I was listening some to the Fox News and then I was listening to the BBC. And then I was going to my old time radio listening to to uh <laughs> To detective stories. <laughs> I prayed some, but I did those things too. I just can't listen to too much of the news. What's going on in this chaotic world around us? Hold me down. I'm going to rush out the doors and start doing something about it. <laughs> I don't know. No. We'll do what we can, commensurate with our age and place in life. But. 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 You and I have a theological understanding of the world around us. And we begin the new year with that theological understanding. This is my Father's world. Whatever He's going to do, we're delighted with his fingerprints being all over his creation and with his fingerprints being especially all over me because I need it. Do you? Martin Luther said, Peace is the favor of God which now begins in us but must work more and more and multiply unto death. Peace, peace. Man's heart finds peace. And he fears neither the world nor the devil, for he knows that God, who controls all things, is his friend and will deliver him from death, hell and calamity. Bebo high in the world would you land it? <laughs> Preachers often have trouble landing it. They just kind of keep it flying up there somewhere) <laughs> Okay, we're getting right close to the runway. Mm, We're going to try to land it right now. Here you go. Don't worry. Don't worry. God is in as much charge of your life as he was for me all of those decades ago at Lake Forest Ranch. He's as much in charge of things in your life as he was for our friend, Jimmy, who died yesterday. Proverbs 3 Trust in the Lord always and lean not upon your own understanding. Get a grip. We're Christians, and we live like Christians. Don't we? Let's pray. Almighty God in heaven, how thankful we are that you have been very merciful to us as much in our living as in our coming to faith. And we are confident that as you deal with this your world, you accomplish your purpose. Whatever my God ordains is right, as you move us toward our accomplishing of our tasks for you, and the day when you shall make, when you will make all things right afresh and a new heavens, and a new earth. For we pray it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.